we have a tendency mm-hmm. to work out of our own um, context. So yeah. being able to be mindful of the divorcee, to be mindful of the widower, to yes. be mindful of singles. Not everybody is married with kids. Amen, you know, sis. like, Amen sister. Yeah, Amen. I'm just going to go on and on. Go, Mark, preach but... you go, preach you go. <laughs> You're my friend, preach you go. <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyway, I love what we do. Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hello and welcome back to Someday is Here. I hope you have been enjoying season three as much as I have. I've just loved the guests so far, and I'm excited to introduce to you today's guest. Margaret is not only a very seasoned leader, she is also a very dear friend of mine. Um, And I just love the things that she shares about leadership and perspective. Um, A little background about Margaret, she is currently the National Director of EPIC Movement, which is the Asian American Ministry of Crew, and my husband and I served with EPIC for 10 years. Um, Simultaneously, Margaret serves as the Executive Director of Ethnic Focused Communities of crew. So she's doing both jobs simultaneously. And she has been on staff with crew for over 30 years. And that has taken her from serving in Milwaukee to being a director at UC Berkeley to East Asia to time in Uzbekistan. And now she lives in Southern California, but her work takes her nationwide. Margaret loves college students. And what I love about Margaret is that she is an she's a learner and she has actually received her master's degree in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary but she is a lifelong learner and she's a passionate basketball fan and she is a really really generous and good friend so I am excited for you to hear our conversation today take some notes she has some really important things to say enjoy the show All right, welcome back, friends, to Someday is Here, and I am thrilled to introduce you today one of my dearest friends. Uh, Margaret, you and I have known each other over three decades. We've at least known of each other, and she is a woman I deeply admire, respect, and love. So, um, you know, as I introduced earlier, you know, before our conversation, some of her bio, she is so much more than all of her achievements and all of her roles. And I just think you are going to be so blessed with today's conversation. So without further ado, welcome Margaret to Someday is Here. Thank you, Vivian. I'm so excited to be a part of this and what you're doing with Someday is Here. It's amazing and it's so encouraging for so many people, not just women, but uh, people of color. Mm, Well, I am reflecting back on 
our friendship and we've worked together. We have served together on Mm -hmm. different assignments and teams. Um, But let's go, go way, way, way back. Like how did we first meet? And then, yeah. And then we'll jump into your story a little bit. Oh my gosh. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I first met you because you were a friend of someone that I worked with or knew Mm -hmm. who was involved with crew. So I knew you when you were, were you a student? I think you were a student. Yeah. Or getting ready to join staff with one of the organizations that we're part of. And yeah. so and so I think that's my first experience of you. But I also at that point knew of you because you were a woman who, in terms of your life, even back then, you were investing in women and you were known as that girl, you know, you know, there's always that girl, right? The girl who multiply and invested her life and you could see five generations of influence or so mm. from, from your campus at, in um, Buffalo, not Buffalo, Colorado, you know. Right? I was, that's the so CU that's, Buffaloes. That's where the Buffaloes Buffalo. That's where I yeah. got it makes sense. Yes. Right. Go Bucks, that is Go my <laughs> first narrative I heard about you. And so I was mm. really excited because I love mentorship and discipleship and to, to meet someone who, who has experienced that and has that heart. It was really fun. Does that make mm. sense? So oh, you yeah. Someone's friend, but I, you were... Your reputation preceded you, and I loved oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Well, I just know that I had heard of you as well. And so I think meeting you, I, I felt like it was like meeting a kindred spirit. Like we just oh. had so much that we loved about college students mm-hmm. and wanting to influence um, generations to come. And what I've, one of the things I've really loved and appreciated about you, Margaret, is um, your passion for leadership and that you would invest and get a master's degree in global leadership. I mean, you've had your your perspective on leadership has gone beyond the college campus. To me, it's always remained very global. And I've loved that about your leadership and what you bring. And as a woman leader, I think that there's several layers that come with that as well. So before we jump into all that, which we will, yes. um, I would love for listeners to get to know some of your ethnic journey stories. So take us mm-hmm. back, back, back and share with us your journey. So I, I, um, I grew up in the Midwest, but my family came to the States when I was little. So I'm a Midwestern girl. So very mm. much my values are very Midwestern, but I grew up being a minority. You know, mm. and I hate saying, using, I don't use that word now, but I was a minority in that there weren't that many Asian Americans or Chinese Americans where I, mm-hmm. you know, where I came from. And I was always like the one that stood out, you know, whether I was with all my black friends or my white friends, I was always mm. that. There weren't that many, back then, there weren't that many Hispanics. And so mm. my story was always um, like, before college, I was what I call myself a banana, which is a derogatory term for some, which is, you know, that you're yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. Mm. You know, I could have been other things too, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be anything but Asian American. And I didn't like myself. I didn't like Asian food. I didn't like the fact that my family was so traditional. And there were just a lot of things that I did not like. And it was a lot mm. of self-hatred, to be honest. Mm. But then I got to college and... um Lo and behold, God really used some people in my life um, to really embrace my heritage and my history. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. changed the trajectory of my life. And so I was wow. really grateful for that. And so after that, I got involved um, in um, really wanting to invest in the Asian American community. 
Mm. So I'm curious, like growing up, did you, like when you say your family was pretty traditional, like did you speak Chinese at home? Was yes. it bilingual? Yes. How did that work? Yes. yes. My parents, they don't speak much English. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually ashamed of that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is actually one of those stories where I feel like we affect the next generation, like what you're talking about. But I remember growing up, one of those moments where I would go, oh my gosh, I'm speaking Chinese at school. And I was so ashamed. Mm. And I totally remember that moment. And I was trying to swallow up my words. And that is mm. a picture of my identity journey. Mm. And of myself and my family. And so mm. it took a while. Like I started, I think I started my relationship with God in college more closely. And mm-hmm. as a result, that helped me embracing my history, my identity, my heritage, and also God helping me to love myself mm-hmm. and not be ashamed of my parents either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. It's so funny because my, my nephew, a few years down the road, um, he was seven years old. And I remember um, I was visiting my, my sister and he was so distressed when he came home from school. And I go, hey, buddy, what's going on? He was like... He didn't want to tell me, of course. So I had mm-hmm. to kind of plot him. And then he goes, well, I just don't like myself. And I go, why? He goes, well, because I speak another language. Mm-hmm. And it was the saddest thing for me mm-hmm. that that continued. And so I went on to talk to him some more about that. And we try to kind of redeem that moment, mm-hmm. and redeem the fact that we're bilingual. And so, but I realized that it starts like what you're saying, like we can have such an impact in the future by how we embrace ourselves, you know what I mean? Mm. And had that motto to the next generation. So that was my story. Yeah, yeah. So when you like kind of break down a little bit of what that process was like for you, like in college, it was kind of like this redemption part of your story. How did that yeah. take place? And what were some of the factors that that influenced the um, bringing together and the the embracing and celebrating myself. Yeah. I think that, um, and it's funny because I'm a, I'm a believer. I follow Jesus, but actually the people who helped me in that journey were not believers. Hmm. They were people who were Asian American studies people. They were hmm. radical people that I happened to be friends with and they were like grad students. And so they actually challenged me in my thoughts about being an Asian American. And so because of them on my own, I read up on Asian American history, Asian American mm-hmm. studies, and because mm-hmm. I learned about my own history and yeah. stories, it emboldened me to go, mm-hmm. oh, I've always felt like the other, like what's wrong yeah. with me? But rather yeah. when you hear these stories, it changes you and you go, wow, we've been oppressed and we didn't even know it. Or oh, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I embrace my narrative as an Asian American. Mm-hmm. And not being ashamed, but really proud of the history of suffering and the history of leadership in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, you know, I believe all truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. And I believe that God used those two or three people in my life when mm-hmm. I was a freshman to mm-hmm. really help me embrace who I am, which really, I think it's the hardest calling in our lives. Um, I think Parker Palmer, uh, one of my favorite authors, he talks about our truest calling mm-hmm. isn't just a vocation of career of what to do, but the hardest and our truest calling is to truly be ourselves and then wow. to offer ourselves to God and to glorify Him by doing mm-hmm. whatever He says. Mm-hmm. 
being being truly ourselves is such Mm -hmm. a journey. And so I think from these people who didn't know God, they really taught me to truly accept part of who I am and my heritage Mm -hmm. and all, the things Mm -hmm. that I was ashamed of. Mm -hmm. This is actually God's. Mm. So that that's something I'm very grateful for. Um, yeah. Uh, that I had that experience and through people who really value their heritage. Yeah. Tell me, is there like are there any parts of Asian American history that are particularly that stand out to you? You know, are things that you learned about that you had not known of other oh, beforehand? Yeah. Like what are some of the things that you learned? Well, like the Exclusion Act, the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1800s. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember going, I'm older, so I was like, I remember going, oh, this is like less than one generation. I wouldn't yeah. be able to own land or do certain things. And I remember yeah. it just hit me like, oh my gosh, I have so much privilege, mm. you know, or the Japanese American experience. Like in, in, in school, you can learn about American history. There's only one sentence about the internment experience. Mm-hmm. But then I realized there was so much more. And actually, mm-hmm. to be honest, it angered me a lot. Mm-hmm, Part mm-hmm. of my identity, embracing my identity, was actually learning that I didn't know so much. Yeah, and then I, yeah. got, I got really angry. Yeah. And I don't think I ever became a militant, but I can understand where I could have. Does that make sure, sense? Sure. And I think um, it was so frustrating to know that I didn't know. Mm. And so if you don't know your history, you repeat it. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so just, that just made me so angry and like the Japanese internment, but even, you know, like in recent history right now, there are Laotian and Hmong Americans who are detained right now, um, mm. who, who are going to be sent back, uh, back to Laos wow. because of the war that we had in America in the seven, you know, in 1970s, 70s, secret yeah. war and stuff mm-hmm. like that. People don't mm-hmm. know about that. But yeah. then they look at things like, well, you know, they're from another country, so we, do, we should deport them. But they don't understand how they got here in the first place and how sure. America used them as part of the secret war. And as a mm-hmm. result, many people died. And so yeah. I, I think history is so important. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? mm-hmm. And because without history, there's no anchor for right. who you are as a community. And That's so, so I, good. You know what I mean, you, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, when you first found out other things about Asian Americans, you're like, dang, I just want to, you know, swear or something. I'm sorry. If I can say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I think for me and my journey as well, um, there's uh, the feeling invisible at times. And so that's, you know, personally, and then realizing that a lot of our history feels invisible mm-hmm. as well, but there's yeah. just not much focus. Um, even if I think about like Westerns or period dramas, you know, yeah. they're so white centered that it really doesn't afford me a, a space to see my story being lived out. So there, so it's interesting because I think the photo of when the railroad finally yes. met yes. from the West coast to the East coast, yes. they finally met in the middle and you yeah. see the photo and there's probably about a hundred some people there, but not a single Chinese American Chinese person is there, and the Chinese helped build the railroad. But that, to me, is an example yes. Yes. of feeling like um, I'm always yes. invisible. Yes, I love that picture. Yeah. That's why we're friends. <laughs> I love that picture because it's so poignant, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this is our story. And, yeah, yeah. Um, like last year um, at the 
Rose Bowl Parade. My friends mm-hmm. were part of this Chinese uh, Heritage Foundation, in which, to their credit, for the Rose Bowl Parade people, they mm-hmm. were honoring people who worked on the railroads. Oh, and wow. Sponsored by the Chinese Heritage Foundation. And what was amazing about that story is kind of like the redemption of that, what you're talking about. Mm. So, so in that picture from 1800s, we weren't even in the picture. Right. Here, it was 2019 or 2018, one of those, you know, it was last year. It was here, this Chinese American Heritage Foundation sponsored this float. Mm-hmm. And but what they did was they didn't just talk about Chinese Americans who worked on the railroads, but mm-hmm. they invited all the other people of color to be a part of that float. Wow. And to me, that is what we do in mm-hmm. how we this world that is so fragmented and yeah. so polarizing. That's right. And so I love that story because it's mm-hmm. a redemption of what we can do. It's a pain. It's a historical pain. Like you said, you and I would say, I hate this. I hate that. Right. That but right. it's redemptive yeah. in that yeah. what we can do. Like our lives are full of redemption, I think, yeah. as Americans in, the, in 2020, right? Like, yeah. look at you, you know what I mean? Your life is redemption right there. So is mm-hmm. mine. You know I mean? Yeah, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Well, I would love for you to share a little bit, like, um, you know, growing up, um, you, you mentioned feeling embarrassed. Were there, mm-hmm. were there times you remember where, that just evoked particular pain for you as an Asian American? Um, there were. I mean, just personally, I would say, because when you're the other, people make fun of you. When they don't know what to do with you, um, mm-hmm. sometimes they, they make jokes. And so it wasn't, I mean, it was more the names, like, you know, that you get called, um, that that was the more salient thing, was being called certain things. And the the silent thing to me, the thing mm. that's not obvious, the implicit thing is assuming certain things about you as a woman or a person of color. So, you know, they assume that I would be good at math, and which I was, mm-hmm. but that's different. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? They, they did assume that I didn't, you know, I wasn't good at literature, but I love French and different things. Does that mm. make sense? So there's certain mm-hmm. assumptions that people yeah. make about you because you're a woman. And that mm-hmm. is carried into adulthood when you work for any organization or church or anything. Sure. You know, so those sure. are the kinds of pain um, that I can recall. But but as a lot of calling names and even, you know, being involved as a student, I sometimes I'm I'm so surprised that I'm still involved in in a predominantly white organization that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. part of my growing up. But but when I think about the beginnings of that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember as a student at University of Michigan, being involved in this great uh, evangelical uh, organization that was helping me grow in my relationship with the Lord. It's so complex, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, God used these people to help me grow as a person. But at the same time, I would go to these meetings and I would sit there and go, okay, that skit supposed to be funny, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you college students do fun things. Yes. They have skits, they have other things. And so, mm-hmm. I remember sitting there going, okay, I am sure that that skit was racist. Right, right. And yes. I had to reconcile, what do I do with that? Right. And it's very painful when you're the minority and there's not a lot of people you can process that with. Mm-hmm. Then you yeah. go, well, maybe it's okay. Right. And to be honest, at times, I think I, I stuffed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are times in my life, I'm ashamed to say, I wasn't an Esther. I tr- well, I wasn't Esther in that I was trying to fit in. 
like Esther mm. in the Bible. I try mm-hmm. to fit in. Right. And right. because it was hard to process when there's not many of us to process. Right. With, right. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that was really painful. And I think I think I died to myself as a result. When mm. I look back, I'm kind of sad about that. Yeah. You the know what is interesting is as you bring right. that up, I think um, what I what's kind of stirring in my heart is realizing how important it is to have kind of a um, a safety level of numbers in order to be able to process. And so I think for a majority of Asian Americans who grow up in predominantly white spaces, I'm thinking that, you know, adoptees and, you know, just people that are, that are being raised in spaces um, and you have white organizations that want to be diverse, but when there's only one Asian American and one black person, it doesn't make for um, enough safety to yes. really begin to process and to even speak up about what is um, taking place that may be hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not intended. Yeah. Like, I don't think the white organization is aware, but as the ethnic minority, like for me, it really takes at least four or five other people that are with me to go, am I crazy? Mm-hmm. Or is that like, was that really rude, you know, or offensive, you know, and not to look for, you know, people are out to get me, but it's more just having people that are seeing yeah. through the same lens as I, I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think for me, it's kind of interesting when I look at my leadership journey, mm-hmm. I led in a very white space. And I think if I'm honest with you, Viv, I've, I've told you this before. I think there were times in which I would subconsciously try to lead like white models, white mm-hmm. male, you mm-hmm. know, and not even women because our organization is predominantly um, in terms of positional power is dominated by men. And so I think subconsciously I did that Mm. and it wasn't all bad. You know what I mean? I learned to lead in spite of myself, but Mm. I think subconsciously I tried to be someone else. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I actually started leading in a Asian American specific space like Epic, which is the Asian Mm -hmm. American ministry of my my organization, that I actually felt more like myself mm-hmm. lead, and it empowered me. It empowered me because there were others who thought the same way that I did. Yeah. I was not the only one. And right. I really love what you say. I think there was a lot that organizations and churches can learn from that, what you just mm-hmm. said. And yeah. like my church, um, a few years back, they asked me, they're like, hey, we want you to be on the deacon board. Prior mm-hmm. to that, they had never had women. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know. I love my church. But but I remember telling them that, well, first, I can't because I'm too busy. But can I tell you that it's not going to work if you want. I know that you want the contribution of women, but mm-hmm. it's not going to work if you're only going to have one. You're right. going to have to have three at least yeah. out of seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they actually tried. They actually do that now. That's so great. And these women are contributing. Yeah. In the culture, like you said. Well, I wonder with leadership too, in particular, there's, I think part of my hardwiring is I'm collective. You know, that's just part of the value of being an Asian. Um, but in that, I think I don't, because I don't see role models very often, yes. I have a lot of self-doubt. And mm-hmm. so in that way, mm-hmm. I think I even more struggle with trying to determine and sift through like, is this worth even mentioning or is it just me? And so when I feel like I don't want it to be about me because I'm 
for the, I'm team, I'm team-based. I'm about the team. So I don't want to bring um, focus on my personal, um, pr- you know, preferences or whatever. Yes. But, you know, when it comes to leadership and being able to um, be entrusted with decision-making and all of those things, there mm-hmm. is a sense of, um, I, I think more so than my white you know, brothers and sisters, I think I deal with a lot more of um, really second guessing. Yes. Yes. You know, just, and that's where having 30% ethnic minority within a leadership team or whatever really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. Because then it's like, okay, we can process this. And that's really key. So, you know, and, and to my listeners who are who are not ethnic minority or who are white majority working in organizations and, you know, spaces, there's really a deep desire, I think, to begin to reflect the demographics of our country, to have, you know, um, ethnic diversity, but the change does not happen until ethnic minorities are put put into places of leadership where there's decisions made on finances and allocation of leadership, those kinds of things that actually empower people to make the choices and the decisions. So um, I remember even like, you know, my husband, Darren, has worked with you, Margaret, closely. And, you know, you as the only woman for many, many years, again, you're this trailblazer, Margaret. It's not even, I love that cult, it's, not, it's not even our ethnic culture, but it's really our gender. A gender, yes. And it's really true. I mean, so we have a double said. thing going. Yeah, you it's know? a double whammy, right? And a double blessing, however you look yeah. at it. Yeah. Yes, yes. I absolutely agree. But I remember there was one meeting when they were discussing a speaker lineup. There were no women in the room. Yes. And so it was not because any of the men were sexist, but no. it did occur to them to have a woman speaker. And when there is a woman in the room, they're like, wait. What about half the audience, over half the audience is women. We would do well to have a woman speaker. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, again, it was just like, there's, there's a tendency, again, like we have a tendency mm-hmm. to work out of our own um, context. Yeah. So being able to be mindful of the divorcee, to be mindful of the widower, to yes. be mindful of singles. Not everybody is married with kids. Amen, you know, sis. like, Amen sister. Yeah, Amen. I'm just going to go on and on. Well, Mark, preach but. a girl. Preach a girl. <laughs> you're my friend. Preach a girl. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, I love, I love what you're bringing in no. there. Well, but, I, but that example, even when I think about working with Darren, what is amazing is that this is not just a space for women to do. It really is. When I think about those meetings as regional directors, it helps when, because they would expect a woman to say, what about women speakers? But it's mm-hmm. so powerful when uh, another man or a white man or any man says, mm-hmm. like Darren would go, what, how about some women speakers? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It means so much. And it yeah. really, this is where as believers, this is the community. It's not just women community, but men that we're mm-hmm. part of human race. And we're yeah. for and I, I love that ex- that just hearkened to just remembering working with men who are for women mm-hmm. means so much to me and other women. Mm. And yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. This week's Did You Know is about Dr. Mabel. Kinghua Lee. Did you know that at 16 years old, Dr. Mabel Pinghua Lee was at the forefront of the women's suffrage movement in New York in the early 20th century? 
Despite the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, Mabel Pinghua Li and her family were able to immigrate from Guangzhou to New York because of a scholarship she received when she was nine. Her dad, having immigrated prior to the rest of the family, was a Chinese missionary living in the United States to pastor the Baptist Chinese mission in New York's Chinatown. Living a life full of faith and action, Mabel Pinghua Li became a notable suffragist and leader by the age of 16 as she led thousands of women in the streets of New York to advocate for their rights, despite the fact that Chinese Americans could not vote because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, which barred all Chinese immigrants from becoming citizens. Her work surrounding equal voting rights for women extended into her college career when she attended Columbia's all-female counterpart, Bernard College. Throughout her time at Bernard, she was an active leader in the Chinese Students Association. She wrote feminist essays on voting rights for a college newspaper, and she gave speeches on voting rights for women and the importance of the involvement and education of Chinese American women of all ages. After Bernard, she became the first Chinese American woman to receive her PhD in economics at Columbia, became the director of Baptist Chinese Mission after her father's passing, wrote a book on the economic history of China, and established the Ch Christian Chinese Center, which served and empowered Chinese immigrants by providing resources such as English classes, health clinics, kindergarten, and vocational training. While researchers and historians are unsure if she ever attained citizenship and her right to vote, her legacy ensured that all women to come were able to. So don't forget to register to vote. And that's this week's Did You Know? Well, I would love to kind of take the flip side of that. So there have been places of pain. What are places where you experience pride in being an Asian American woman? Mm. Um, hmm. There's a lot. Um, I have, you know, I feel like I have come a long ways to embracing myself rather than hating the parts mm. of me that's Asian or women. Um, but I remember this one time, um, a few years back, maybe maybe eh, six years back, I was at that point leading a um, multicultural team, mm -hmm. white people, most, mostly half of us white and half Asian American, I was leading a team of leadership development and HR. And we were going through a really hard time as an ethnic-specific ministry within a PWI space. And it's part of life while growing in our organization, which I'm grateful mm -hmm. for. And so one of the things that I remember happening was that I just got really angry and sad. And I just had a moment where I just felt like hopeless. Mm. And I was crying in front of these people that I was leading, right? Mm -hmm. And what I love about that moment was, um, for me in the past, I would have been ashamed that here I am a woman and I'm crying. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes mm -hmm. there's a stigma that as a woman, you cannot cry. Mm. And you try to be professional, right? right. And, and there are times that I know enough that my community around me that I was leading, that they love me for who I am. But mm -hmm. in that moment, I remember saying to this team, like, I had to apologize. And I was apologetic. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm very emotional right now. 
And, mm. you know, and it was almost like I was shaming myself that I cannot lead because I'm emotional. Mm. So one of the, my teammates who's white, a white man, he said, he looked at me straight in the eyes and he goes, Margaret, we know you're emotional, but, but we know that you can lead. Mm. And that was a, it was, it changed my narrative. Hmm. The narrative that if you're emotional, you cannot lead. In fact, mm-hmm. what he was saying is that actually because you're emotional, God has used you and will use you. Mm-hmm. And we're okay with that. We don't mm-hmm. assume that you cannot lead because you're emotional. Mm. And that was so redemptive. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It, but it was a moment that was steeped into what our world says about leadership is very mm-hmm. male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Right, and women have to kind of, like you said, edit themselves to try to fit in. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and we second guess ourselves. We second yeah. guess our emotions. We second yeah. guess our, our thoughts or opinions. Yeah. Sometimes, thinking mm-hmm. we're crazy. You know what I mean? Right. And so, right. in that moment, this brother, mm. you know, this man, said, "No, mm. we know you can leave because you are who you are. Mm-hmm. And you love who I am." That totally is to me the story of my life and mm. the story that I want to encourage um, people in, not just Asian Americans, but really any, any person that you can yeah. love who you are. You don't have to be yeah. someone else. So mm. that, it was, but it was, it was a moment that was steeped in pain from society and from the past. Mm. Someone redeemed it. Yeah. And that really That's really great. I love that. I love that. I think that there's a lot to be said about, kind of bringing together all of these different values so that we we hold within ourselves Eastern values, Western values, what it means for those who have, who are Mm faith-based, you know, so the faith values as well as gender-wise, what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. um, and how society, you know, has treated women. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all of these intention at the same time. And this, um, both this embracing as well as courage to explore, to kind of work through the places that are a little bit more um, knotted up, you know, Mm -hmm. to kind of untangle some of those things. And so um, I would love to hear, like, what kind of advice would you give to the younger generation who are, who want to grow in the area of leadership who are Asian American women? And this obviously will be applicable because I think leadership is a is a topic that is true of all people. But in in particular, like if, if you think about this younger generation, they really do desire to lead. They have gifts in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the future is bright. We have some amazing up and coming leaders. But what would your mm-hmm. advice be to them? I think um, for Asian American women in general. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, know your history, um, know yourself, mm. uh, because the hardest person to lead is actually yourself. Mm. And so stewarding yourself actually will make you a better leader. Make us, it makes us a better leader, right? And yeah. what that means is stewarding all that you are, the mm. good, the bad, the ugly, and the confusing parts of you. Mm. And God, what does this mean that you want me to serve and love and lead myself in this space? Yeah. But what does it mean to love others in this space? 
Mm. You know, um, being aware of who you are helps you. Uh, um, it helps you to navigate how to love others. Mm. So if you're secure in your your base, in your mm-hmm. core being, then you're able to be a better leader. You know, mm. because it, but if you're protecting yourself, yeah, yeah, you cannot see outside of yourself. You're mm-hmm. just doing the job and the skills of leadership rather than truly being a servant leader. Mm. So I think that when you can steward yourself and do things that, like you're talking about, like community helps you to know mm-hmm. who you are, that you're mm-hmm. not crazy sometimes. But community can help you grow and go, you're really good at this, or you're, mm. you have to grow in this area. But that stewarding that so that you can become more secure in who you are then you're not fighting for space anymore, right? Right, right. We live in very limited space in America mm. at, at the executive level or any level mm-hmm. on the street. Uh, like you said, sometimes there's only one seat at the table for a woman or a person of color. Right. So, but if you're not secure in who you are, then you, you I think if you're not secure, then, then you're not going to be able to see how you can leverage what you yeah. have all the Mm. gifts and privileges that you have so -hmm. that you can serve others and for the next generation, which is what we talked about. Right. Because if I'm about myself and securing that for myself, then I'm protecting myself and not thinking about the next, the people around me or the next generation. Mm. I think um, pay it forward. But the way to pay it forward is to love yourself and really grow your core being Mm. so that you could become a secure leader. with, with, without being someone else, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mm-hmm. think, especially in, in my faith community, especially in America, there's so many people sometimes who, who just want to be someone else, to mm. lead like someone else, to do what someone else is doing, rather than yeah. go, but what is God's story for me? Yeah. What is my contribution to this world? Mm-hmm. And to, to applaud those who are doing something different, because we need mm-hmm. everyone to do different things. Yeah, I'll be doing the same things. Yeah, and it's a big, wide world, and so yes. there's just so much untapped. Yes, in every area I think uh, for us to be able to create and bring who we are. So, I love that. I love that, and I think one of the things I so appreciate about you, Margaret, is that every time I see you, you have a blend of people in your life. You have you know, the, the young ones who are students who are just hanging on your every word, but you also speak into the lives of seasoned leaders. Um, you, you know, you, you have a, um, a weight that you bring of um, experience and knowledge and wisdom that I think is really, really great, that you are just very generous about. You are a very generous person. So I just, yeah, I love watching you do your thing. So, okay. So, okay. One of the funnest things that I love about spending time with you, Margaret, <laughs> is that we love to eat together and we are the type of friends who we are stuffed to the gills and we are talking about what we ate last week and what we want to eat and the next restaurant we want to try. Yeah. And it's just like, I just can't, I just, I just love eating with you. So, me With too. that said, Me what too. are some of your favorite comfort foods? Oh my gosh, I have so many. I know. You can list a bunch if you like, but I was what saying, comes to mind? I love, okay, a comfort food for me, very traditional Chinese. It's very much noodle soups, mm. comforting for my soul. 
you yeah. know, like wonton noodles or brisket, mm-hmm. beef noodles. I just love any kind of noodles, even Italian noodles. I love noodles of all noodles, shapes. Noodles, noodles. And then noodles. my favorite, swear, I think in heaven, I'm going to have a lot of this in heaven. And that is mangoes with sticky rice. <gasps> oh, oh, yes. Oh the mango dessert. Yes. I can yes. eat it all With the coconut day. milk. Yes. Yes. All day long, babe. Oh, I could too. I'll sit right next to you with my big old spoon with a perfectly ripe, sweetened mango. Yes. And that yes. coconut milk. Mm, and those sesame seeds. Oh, my goodness. We need to go to Thai food. I know. That's not mixed up, I know. Girl. That, well, it's just yes. why I just got to eat it. it all. Let's gotta do go, it. Got to like eat it, it all. I, like I love it. that. I love that so much. Well, how can people um, connect with you? Well, I don't really write very often. I kind of, so I, you could follow my blog, but it's not that great because I don't <laughs> write very often. I'm just too busy. I wish I had more time. Um, but um, I do Twitter. Um, I have, you know, CCC Epic Margaret and I'm on Facebook and I'm sort of on Instagram, but I'm not great at it. I'll be honest. You know, I'm just too busy navigating so many things, but um, I am more on Twitter and Facebook um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I kind of do some things on my website, but that's really it. What is your website name? MargaretU.com. Oh, good. That's yeah. easy. And well, I we will link keep up, up with all. it. <laughs> yes, I hear you there. I hear you so much. So we'll we'll definitely link up all of those places where people can find you. And I am so grateful for you taking some time. I know life has been so full, and you're on an airplane quite a lot, and you are in a lot, a lot of meetings. So thank you for virtual and re, in real life. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to um, really just bring um, your experience and your life to Mm -hmm. listeners of this podcast. I think they're going to, there's just so many gems of what you've shared Mm -hmm. uh, today that I think are really going to be helpful. So thank you so much. Vivian, thank you so much. Can I say one thing? Sure. Um, I just want to say I'm biased, but I think I'm objective at the same time as your friend, but I just (laughs) have been reflecting over how, you know, when I think about leadership, it is about, it's, it's, beyond, it's going beyond the narrative of being a survivor. And I look at your story and uh, the suffering of cancer in those two years or more, just the confusion and the pain. But I just look at how you, um, through yourself and community and God, became more than a survivor, but a warrior mm. who is now leading up to serve so many people, and especially women and women of color and Asian American women. And just that is a great role model for our generation, for the next generation to follow. It's a great, you know, encouragement for all of us, I think, uh, old or young, to really continue to, to, go, to go beyond the narrative of being a survivor, that we're more than that, mm. that we can lead out and that we, God can redeem all of our suffering and our pains. And so you live that out every day. And even this podcast to me is a great showcase of that. So thank you for what you do. And I'm just so grateful for you and so proud of you as a friend. So I'm biased. (laughs) Well, well, thank you. I received that um, with a blushing face, but I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to run with you and I can't wait for people to continue to get to know you better. I think you have so many fantastic principles of life to share. So thank you, Margaret. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you, Viv. 
Isn't Margaret wonderful? I am so grateful to call her a friend and a lifelong friend. Uh, We've known each other for over three decades, and my life is richer for it. Margaret is a woman of integrity. She lives what she teaches, and I just I love watching her live out of these convictions that she talked to us about today. And what struck me even in our conversation was the importance for us in our own leadership to operate out of that secure base of knowing who we are and knowing our history. So my two recommendations this week is learn about Asian American history, learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act, learn about the Secret War, learn about the 442nd. All of these different parts of Asian American history are just parts that we don't ever learn about in school that we need to know. So two resources I'd like to recommend. One is the book, The Making of Asian America by Dr. Erica Lee. And that really is this very comprehensive Asian American history of all the different types of Asian American groups that that are in the United States. The other is a two-part DVD series uh, produced by PBS called Asian Americans, and it was just released earlier this year. It's really well done. So I'd like to recommend those two resources for you this week. And my encouragement to you is be like Margaret. Be a woman of integrity and seek to love others well. I hope you have a great week, and we look forward to having you back next week for another episode of Someday is Here. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.